Welcome to Grace Church of Philly. Especially welcome those who are watching from different places around the world and especially our friends in Cameroon whom we uh, just left. Steve, John, and I returned on Tuesday evening. Theodore is still there serving the Lord in villages, but uh, we had a wonderful time. It's always good to be home, but we always leave a little bit of our heart in Africa because there are people there whom uh, we love very dearly, and we're glad some of them are watching this morning. I welcome you to the uh, 14th celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday we gather in obedience to our Lord to worship together and to celebrate that Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, This is Easter Sunday, but for those of us who follow Jesus, this is our 14th Uh, Sunday celebration of the resurrection of Christ in 2021. And by the way, there are 38 more to come. Uh, So please join us. We would love to see you worshiping with us. I'm looking this morning back in the book of Hebrews. And uh, it is tied to the resurrection of Christ, Hebrews chapter 7. I'm actually going to touch on the entire chapter, but I'm going to focus on the latter part of it, so I will read that this morning, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect Forever. Our text tells us that Jesus died once for all. He's alive, he's exalted above the heavens, and he has been made a perfect high priest forever. You know, when we think of the resurrection of Christ, we think of his exaltation, his being appointed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But our text reminds us that in his resurrection, he becomes our high priest forever. Now you might think, why do I need a high priest? Well, you only need a high priest, I only need a high priest, if there is a God who is holy, if I have sinned against that God, if he is offended by my sin, And if consequently there is a barrier that exists between me and that God, one that is impassable by any effort of my own, I need a high priest if that is true. You know, regardless of what our cultural backgrounds may be, and we have a number represented here today, every culture has a consciousness of what the Bible calls sin. 
They may describe it differently, and yet every culture is aware that there's something wrong with the world, there's something wrong with their life. When the Bible talks about sin, it actually includes the various ways that cultures may look at sin. Cultures like ours that are more law-based look at sin primarily as the violation of the law with the result of guilt. I've broken the law. I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. Cultures that are relationship-based look at sin primarily as a breach of a relationship or damage to a relationship with the result of shame, much like the Japanese culture. Cultures that are cleanliness-based, much like India, look at sin primarily as defilement with the result of some sort of repugnance because of that uncleanness. So in our culture, the violation of the law requires punishment and it involves the restoration of the moral order. It requires forgiveness. In Japanese culture, it requires reconciliation. In Indian culture, it requires cleanliness. And thankfully and joyfully, the, the work of Jesus Christ accomplishes all of that. Whether you think of sin as breaking the law, you can be forgiven. Whether you think of sin as bringing shame because you have breached a relationship, you can be reconciled to God through Christ. Or whether you think of sin as simply a defilement, becoming dirty, and you need to be made clean, you can be made clean through Jesus Christ. The answer to sin is our high priest, Jesus Christ. The one who intercedes for you. He stands before me and a holy God. He stands before my breaking the law. He stands between me and my shame. He stands between me and my filthiness. He is my high priest. And his role as a high priest is to bring me to God because I, I cannot come to God on my own. We're mindful of the Old Testament where the high priest would leave the presence of the people once a year and he would move into that inner part of the temple, the holy of holies. And after he had first made a sacrifice for his own sin, he then would take blood and enter into that holy of holies and he would sprinkle it on that throne seat of God, that seat upon which God and all of his holiness was enthroned, and that throne seat under which sat the law, that law that judged sinners, that throne seat by the sprinkling of blood became a mercy seat. It is what we call propitiation, when the wrath of God is turned to the mercy of God. And the only way that took place in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel is when the high priest brought that blood into that holy of holies. Whether it's the guilt of breaking God's law 
or the shame of breaching your relationship with God or the defilement that takes place because of the filthiness of our sin. Jesus is the one who turns the wrath of God to the mercy of God. And he does that by sprinkling his own blood, by bearing our sin, bearing our punishment, shedding his own blood, enduring the shame of the cross so that we can be cleansed and forgiven and restored. If you have not sinned, if you have never broken God's law, if you've never felt shame, if you've never felt dirty or unclean because of something you've done, then you do not need a high priest. But if you claim that, then God would say, you're a liar. Because if we say that we have no sin, we're liars, God says. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar because God says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This morning, I want to think about Jesus as our high priest. Verse 26 says, it was indeed fitting. It was appropriate that we should have such a high priest like this, that God in his wonderful plan and wonderful design provided the exact kind of high priest that we needed. And it wasn't an afterthought with God. It was something that he had planned from the beginning of the world because we know that that Christ was a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world before creation, before Adam and Eve, before sin and the world. God knew the history and God knew the fall and God knew the need of redemption and Christ was already prepared to die. The beginning of chapter 7 in, he, in, in the book of Hebrews tells us that God gave us in history a little picture, somewhat of a, a type of someone who would be like Jesus Christ. The Jews would live for 1,400 years with a sacrificial system, an institution of sacrifice and priests with the, uh, with the Levites. But God prepared someone else as a symbol and a type that Jesus would be like because later in Hebrews, the writer will tell us he's not like the sons of Levi. He's not like the, uh, Aaron and, and, and his children. He's different than them. But he is like Melchizedek. And there's all kinds of mystery that revolves around this person, Melchizedek. Listen to what he says about him in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 7. He says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also 
king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Who is Melchizedek, and in what way does he resemble the Son of God? How does God in history give us a picture of our coming high priest? Well, the simple answer to who is Melchizedek is, uh, we really don't know. Much more than what Scripture tells us, and Scripture doesn't give us great detail. You know, some would say he was a the, the pre-incarnate Christ. It was an appearance of Christ in history before his incarnation. Some would say he was simply a Canaanite priest, but a priest of the true God. Others would say he was Shem. He was the third son of Adam. And others would simply say he was a st- historical human person who typified Jesus Christ. And that's where I would land, somewhere between he's an historical person, he's a Canaanite priest, but a priest of the true God. And we don't know much about him. We don't have his genealogy. It's likely that he had one because he was human. We don't know his father and mother, but he had a father and mother because he came into the world like everyone else. But those references are simply saying there's a mystery about this person. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. He just is. He's a priest. And he's a priest that has nothing to do with Israel. He's a priest that's somewhat of a worldwide priest. And he's a priest that is also a king. He's the king of Salem. And his name means he's the king of righteousness and just in his names and in his uh, rule as a king, he typifies Jesus Christ. He wasn't Christ. He resembles Christ. Later the writer will say, Christ has a likeness to Melchizedek, but Melchizedek only appears to have this eternal priesthood because we have no no birth records of him. But he's only a type. It's only the appearance of that. Jesus is the reality. Jesus is eternal. He has no mother or father, that is physically, except in his incarnation he had a mother. But he is the eternal son of God. And Melchizedek He likely died. His priesthood did not go on forever, but it seemed like it did because we have no record of his birth or death. But Jesus, in reality, his priesthood goes on forever. Melchizedek resembled the Son of God, but Jesus is one who perfectly combines the priestly and the kingly office. His origin is also mysterious and untraceable because he is the eternal son of God. But his priesthood is not passed on like Melchizedek's through descendants. It's not passed on like Aaron through descendants. His priesthood is his priesthood alone. Like Melchizedek, Jesus' priesthood is 
not ethnic. It's not bound by any national boundaries. He's not simply a Jewish priest. He is a worldwide priest. He is greater than Melchizedek. And later in the text, he will tell us he's greater than Abraham. Because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham, in some sense, said, Melchizedek is above me. Remember in that story of Genesis where Abraham had defeated that coalition of Canaanite kings after they had taken Lot captive. And he was met by the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And he was also met by the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom wanted to pay him. He wanted to give him stuff to say thank you for, for, for defeating our enemies. And Abraham said, no, uh, I won't take anything from you because I don't want you to be able to say you made me rich. And later God told him that was the right thing to do because you have me. I am El Shaddai. I am the one who provides for you. So he would take nothing from the king of Sodom. But to the king of Salem, he gave one-tenth. And then the writer of Hebrews makes an interesting argument that all of those priests who came from Levi, who served in the Jewish temple, that in some sense all of those priests were still in Abraham's loins. And though Levi was not yet born, Isaac wasn't born, Jacob wasn't born, Levi was not yet born. The writer says Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. He was inside Abraham. And Levi, that, 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 that priest of Israel, recognized the greater priesthood of Melchizedek. And so the writer is arguing in Jesus Christ, you have a superior priest. You have a unique priest. You have a priest that is somewhat surrounded by mystery. You don't know everything about this person, Jesus Christ. But what you do know about him should cause you to love him and to serve him and to worship him and to rejoice in him and rest in him because there is no priest greater than Jesus Christ. So the beginning of the chapter, he's telling us that this priest that is fitting for us is a superior high priest, a unique one, a mysterious one. In the center of the chapter, in verses 11 through 19, he tells us that this priest, Jesus, is different than the priests of Israel because he gives you an everlasting hope. And he goes through this long argument in verses 11 through 19 of uh, Hebrews chapter 7, where he describes the priesthood of Israel, and he, he makes two very uh, poignant statements about that priesthood. He says, first of all, under the priesthood of Aaron... Perfection was never attainable. That you could never say as an, as an Israelite, I now am standing fully accepted before God. 
that all of my sin has been covered, it's been expunged, it's been done away with. He says in verse 11, perfection was never attainable. And then in verse 18, he says that the old priesthood under Aaron was marked by weakness and uselessness. Now that's an unusual way to describe a system that God himself ordained for his old covenant people. But what he's simply saying is this, that what it could accomplish was imperfect. And in the final end of that system being able to make you right before a holy God, it was useless. It didn't matter how many sacrifices you offered, as he'll later argue in Hebrews, those sacrifices, that blood had no power, no effect to change God's wrath to mercy. It could do nothing. It was weak and useless. And so he says in verse 19, the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw close. We draw nigh to God. And, and the writer argues that it's because of the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. Every son of Levi, every Aaronic priest died. Many of them were flawed in character many times in the history of Israel. The high priests were as wicked as the people. They were flawed. They could not bring you into the presence of God. They were only anticipating, waiting for someone who would be that perfect high priest. Someone has said that the, that, that the dynamic power of the resurrection life of the risen Lord Jesus is the power of his indestructible life that confirms the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's not just that he's king. Yes, I need a king. But I'm a sinner. Whether my sin is breaking the law or whether my sin is the shame of broken relationships or whether my sin is just filth and uncleanness, I'm a sinner and God is holy and I need someone who can bring me to God. And our writer says that Jesus Christ is that one who brings us to God. And he's one, and this is really the main point of my message this morning. That was all introduction. We need a high priest whom God will never deny. We need someone. I need to know when I wake up every morning that there is someone who is bringing me close to God. I needed it in September of 1970 when I repented and wanted forgiveness and wanted to be reconciled to God and wanted to be cleansed. I needed someone 
who could stand between a holy God and me, a vile sinner, who could bring me close to God. I needed a high priest. But I needed a high priest yesterday. And I will need a high priest tomorrow. And you know, when I think about it, when I stand in the presence of God, I will need a high priest then. And when a a million years of eternity has passed, I suspect that I will look at myself even then, knowing that I am perfect in Christ, but I am not there because I am perfect. I am not there because I have become good. I am only there because I have a high priest who forever is my high priest. There will never be a moment in eternity that I can claim a right to be in the presence of God without Jesus Christ. We need a high priest whom God will never deny and to assure us, verses 20 to 22 of Hebrews 7 remind us that Jesus is appointed by an oath. In another place, he'll say by two immutable words. Two of them, that is, God spoke, which is enough. If God said, Jesus is your high priest forever, then you should rejoice in that you need nothing else. But he knows the weakness of our hearts, the weakness of our faith. And so he not only speaks his word, he takes a vow. I swear, God says. I swear by myself that there will never be a moment in your eternal existence that Jesus Christ will not be there bringing you near to God. What a fearful day that would be. At any point in life or eternity, if God would say to you, you're now on your own. You must appear before me with your own means of justification. What a fearful day, a dreadful day that would be. It would be like some of those nights I used to have. They are thankfully much less frequent. But there are times as a young Christian when I would wake up with a nightmare in the middle of the night thinking of the evil that I had done in life. 
and I was sweating, and I was fearful, and I was ashamed, and much of it no one but God and me knew about. And yet it, it was dreadful to even think that, that I did that. But the only relief was, Jesus is my high priest forever. If we must ever stand before God on our own merits, then that wrath which we deserve will fall and fall harshly. Jesus has made our priest by an inviolable oath. God has sworn he will not change his mind. He is the priest who brings you to God. He is the only priest that can bring you to God. And he is the priest who always keeps you in the presence of God. God has sworn. If the Father would ever deny the priestly work of Christ, we would stand on our own before a holy God. I think we would be like Isaiah. As he saw the Lord lifted up in his majesty and heard the cherubim crying out, holy, 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 and we would stand naked in our sin, naked in our shame, naked in our filthiness. What a dreadful thought. But Jesus is our high priest forever. Not just in the moment when you repented and came to Christ. Not just yesterday and last week when you sinned sadly before God. Not just tomorrow when you will certainly sin and need a high priest. He is your high priest forever. Yes, in heaven you will be conscious of the fact that you are not worthy of being there. You are there because Jesus lives. He rose from the dead and he is appointed a high priest forever. You are there because of him. You will worship him for eternity. I love the picture in Revelation 5 when John says, I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. How long will we sing that? We will sing that for eternity. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. I woke up this morning with an old gospel chorus song in my mind. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. Only a sinner saved by grace. And I imagine that when we're before that throne and we are singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain, that in my heart I might be singing, only a sinner 
Saved by grace, only a sinner. Saved by grace, this is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Now, I wonder how the translators did that this morning. Though perfect in Christ, righteous in Christ, we will always, only ever be sinners saved by grace. God assures us by oath, he assures us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verses 23 to 25 tell us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Always lives to make intercession for us. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, throughout all eternity, I will worship Jesus Christ because he is the one who makes intercession. He is the one who brings us into the presence of God. God will never deny him. His word assures us. The resurrection affirms us. And when he looks at Jesus Christ, he will never find a reason. He will never find fault with him because our text tells us he is holy innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. He's exalted. He's perfect. I mean, every other human being, every ironic priest, every son of Levi had their faults. I have my faults. Those of you that know me well know them best. You hang around anyone long enough. You find out they're not perfect. And you might say one day, you know, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want you to be my pastor. But you will never say of Jesus. And God will never say of Jesus. You don't fit anymore. You're not appropriate anymore. No, Jesus Christ will always be perfect in holiness. Perfect as the appointed son who is our high priest forever. In some sense, there was a silver lining in the dark cloud of Old Testament Israel. Because if God honored the inadequate, weak, somewhat useless institution of Israel as a temporary means by which Sinners could be restored into that covenant community. If God honored those imperfect means, how much more a high priest who is impeccable, who does not need to repeat a sacrifice because he sacrificed his own perfect life for our sins.
In conclusion, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and remind you of what he said earlier. Since then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today, regardless of how you look at sin, we have guilt, we have shame, we have defilement. But if we have in Jesus a high priest, then in a moment, and not just for that moment, in a moment and forever, through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are restored, we are brought near to God. And we stay there forever. That's why we worship Jesus. We love Jesus. We serve Jesus. We rest in Jesus. We rejoice in Jesus. We say, thank you for my great high priest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that he is risen from the dead. Not simply and wonderfully King of kings and Lord of lords, but appointed our high priest forever. We thank you that we have Jesus in that moment of salvation. And we have Jesus through all of the ups and downs of life, and we have Jesus in death, and we have Jesus throughout all eternity. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone listening this morning who knows they've broken their, your law, who live with shame because of broken relationships, who have that sense of being dirty because of things they've done, Help them to come to Jesus, the high priest, who forgives and restores and cleanses and makes new forever. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.